Hello and welcome to the Art of Adoption podcast, a place to share and listen to stories about adoption and to raise awareness and remove any stigma surrounding adoption. On this podcast, you will hear real stories from real people about how foster care and or adoption has uniquely shaped each of them as they share the good, the not so good, and the art of it all. I am your host, Amber White. Hello, hello, and welcome back. I hope you all had a great 4th of July. We certainly did. We go to my sister-in-law's house because she lives near one of the rec centers, and they put on one of the best fireworks shows. So we get to eat a ton, get to watch the show from her backyard. Our kids get to hang out with their cousins and play, and we don't have to deal with the hordes of people. (laughs) And how has your summer been? We have had so much going on here. Our summers are always crazy, but at the end of May, we went to Charleston and Myrtle Beach, and then we came back and I immediately left to New Orleans for CrimeCon, and I had a blast as usual. Um, It's just really nice to be surrounded by my type of people who don't get weirded out when I talk about serial killers. (laughs) Um, When I did get back, we hit the ground running. We had Johnny's birthday, Father's Day, Riker's birthday. Of course, the 4th of July, and now Wyatt's birthday is actually this Friday, and Johnny's dad's birthday is on Sunday, and then we have a cousin's birthday, and then we have our anniversary, and then back to school, and then we have another cousin's birthday, and it's just crazy, but it's all good stuff. <laughs> so now I'm focusing on getting our house ready for the new baby and planning a baby shower. It's just, it's so crazy. And like I said, it's almost time for the kids to go back to school. And on that same day is actually mine and Johnny's 15 year anniversary. It's just crazy how fast time flies. And this summer has flown by. So I had a lot of feedback come in about the last episode, um, that two part episode that I did titled Heather's story, um, it seemed to affect those that have adopted or have placed a child for adoption the most. And I hear you. It was hard to record and it was definitely hard to hear. Um, I do think it is important, though, to hear everybody's story, even when I don't agree with their views on everything. As with everything, there's good and bad and all of this stuff in between. On today's episode, you will hear from my cousin, Kim. This story is a rough one to hear as well, rough in a different way. So I want to give you all a trigger warning up front as today's episode does mention child abuse. I do give you a heads up during the episode too, so you can skip ahead if you want to. Kim has fostered several kids over the years and has adopted six of them. She also has two biological kiddos as well. Here is Kim introducing us to her family and how she came to fostering children. Connor is biological, and James, my oldest son, is in Colorado. He's biological. We adopted Emma, Latila, Willie, Donovan, Nevaeh, and Isaiah. So in the beginning, I think Connor was about eight years old. Um, There was a 14-year age difference between him and James, and I was told I couldn't have any more children. 
So we decided we would go into the foster care adopt system to adopt one that he could grow, Connor could grow up with. Once we did the, we got really excited about it. We started looking into children. And once we did the orientation, we realized during the orientation, all these people were saying, oh, we only want them under a certain age. We don't want them with any drug background. We want them with no disabilities. We want them blonde hair, blue eyed. We don't want siblings. It was just a whole list. It's almost like they were ordering children from Toys R Us. And it just, my blood boiled. So at that point, we decided to go into, to be a bridging family, which adopts sibling groups. So our first adoption was, and first placement was a sibling group of two, um, both Emma and Willie. And our, we had several sibling adopt or foster placements after that. But um, the second sibling placement that we had or that we adopted was Donovan, Nevaeh, and Isaiah. So we did, a, we did siblings. Um, Latila was probably the only one that we did not do sibling group on. And that's because we had done respite care, which is a licensed provider to the county or the state, another foster parent that does respite care for another foster family. And so that's how we met Tila. Once we decided to do the bridging families, as we started in Boulder County, and that's where we started our foster licensing certification and our first aid certification. And then we transferred to a private adoption or foster agency. When you foster children, especially older children, you just can't guess or assume what the situation is going to look like due to whatever circumstances brought them to your home to begin with. I asked Kim about what some of those challenges look like for her. I probably have to write a novel on that. With William and Emma, all they ate for food choices was chicken nuggets and PB&J. Um, we, we literally had to stop serving PB&J and chicken nuggets in the house just to expand their taste buds so they could eat healthy. It took about six months. They refused to eat and everything. They would always act like they're barfing at the table. Willie also had reactive attachment disorder. Reactive attachment disorder, or RAD, is a condition in which your child is unable to establish a healthy attachment with their parent or primary caretaker. This can lead to difficulty connecting with others and managing their emotions, resulting in a lack of trust and self-worth, a fear of getting close to anyone, anger, and a need to be in control. A child with an attachment disorder feels unsafe and alone. It is common in children who have been abused, bounced around in foster care, lived in orphanages, or were taken away from their primary caregiver after establishing a bond. However, no matter how detached or insecure your child seems or how frustrated or exhausted you may feel from trying to connect, it is possible to repair an attachment disorder. So he was very aggressively violent, screaming at the top of his lungs almost daily um, for the, probably the first couple of years. That went on for about a year and a half to two years. We would have the screaming tantrums if you put him in timeout, plan on a tantrum for the next minimum of two to three hours, if not, I think our longest one was about 10 hours. So Willie was reactive attachment. Um, he had been removed from home, his, his parents, at probably age 14, 15 months old. And so he never had that chance to really bond with mom 
during the most, most important years from zero to five. Emma, some of the strange issues we had with her, um, she'd sneak out of bed at night. You could hear her walking across the floor. She wasn't really sneaking as far as we were concerned, but she thought she was to get food. Often children in neglectful situations eat a diet consisting primarily of convenience foods and very little fresh or home-prepared meals. This can lead to hoarding and binge eating as a result of the child not knowing when food would next be available to them. Or it can lead to refusal to eat as a method to gain back control in a situation where they have very little. So she wouldn't eat her meal. I mean, she fought against eating her meals, but at night, in the middle of the night, you could hear her walking and going through the kitchen to get food. So I think it was due to the homelessness and et cetera. It was, it was a security thing for her. Um, one of the things that we did to overcome that, instead of just isolating her, what I did for all the kids in my home, because we were fostering others at the time, um, was get them a snack box and we'd fill it up with different kinds of nutritious snacks um, for two week period. And they never had to ask permission to go into that box and get them a snack. After about six to eight months, that issue kind of went away. So she grew secure over time with that. It took about eight to 12 months, um, for her to really get past that. Um, and then I think the other, and Willie's kind of struggled with some of that too. Another thing she did is on a daily basis, we had to go to her room and collect we literally come out with a full bag of trash all the time. She would collect lids, empty cans, plastic bottles, egg cartons. Those were her toys. Those are things she was going to create or do things with. So we we had to, if we didn't do it daily, it would have looked like a garbage dump by the end of the week. We had to do that for probably the first year that we had her. And then it gradually started drizzling down to maybe a trash bag a week because where now we could probably we don't even go in there now we don't need to if i found anything it might be a walmart size bag donovan nevea and isaiah were a whole nother world of issues um when we first got them, we it was a, an emergency placement. We were supposed to only have them over the weekend, and they were supposed. To, we were being told by the intake worker, "Oh, they'd probably go back home." And I'm like, and they were in a foster care home at the time. The intake worker was incorrect. Um, the reason they had picked them up on a Friday night is the adoptive. They were in adoptive placement at that time, and the adoptive place caseworker had some suspicions about the home. And so she decided to request a random unplanned visit to the home. Okay. This next part is very hard to hear and does talk about child abuse and neglect. Listen with caution or skip ahead. See my show notes to get the exact times. When the caseworker from the private agency they worked with, which I think was Bethany Christian, um, got to the home Donovan answered the door and he was crying and she asked him what he was crying about. Instead of communicating or speaking to her what it was, he turned around and lifted up his shirt and he had been whipped across the back, him and Nevaeh both. And so Nevaeh, Isaiah and Donovan were removed from the home that night. We got them and we were supposed to only have, then we were told we'd only have them for a couple weeks. 
because I wasn't really looking to take young children in diapers again. Um, they were age four, two, and 16 months. All were in diapers. None of them spoke. Um, if you walked them to the bathroom to try and give them a bath, they all broke, just literally had a mental breakdown, just a screaming fit. So something about the bathroom. And we're still having that issue with Isaiah at nine years old. He he does not like bathrooms. So we have, he, at nine years old, he's still wearing pull-ups. There was some abuse centered around the bathroom. Uh, she also used to lock them up. They found after this lady's own family testified against her that they were being strapped to metal chairs with the lights shut off and locked in a room or strapped to their beds so they couldn't move. And Isaiah was in a crib, so they put belts or ropes or something around their legs to hold them down in the crib or hold them down to their beds. Donovan had his teeth chipped out with a hammer. They didn't communicate at all for the first couple of weeks they were there. Isaiah didn't communicate for almost three or four months. I think my mom was the first one to actually get a smile out of him. He would just sit in the middle of the floor like a zombie. Like, that's what he did all day. He was either sleeping or just sitting there, staring into space. There's no telling what all occurred in that home. She was trying to negotiate a higher adoption subsidy. She was trying to claim they were all disabled, couldn't walk, couldn't talk, couldn't urinate. I mean, just all kinds of things. I can't, I'd have to write a novel on them. There was so much going on there. Unfortunately, these stories in foster care and adoption are out there. People abusing the system and abusing these precious babies. Thank goodness for that social worker who saw the red flags and actually said something. And yet this lady had them kids for almost two, almost two years. And nobody knew all this was going on. The adopted caseworker kept saying she didn't want the adoption to go through because she just there was something that wasn't right about these kids never talking after two years. But they, she thinks they were literally threatening their life, probably. And so they never talked when she was there. But when the surprise visit happened, yep. We still wake up with the night terrors at night where their legs are, Isaiah and Donovan's legs hurt and cramp. And so they need it rubbed out because they still have those night terrors at night because of all that. So we're still dealing with all that day in and day out. Kim's other daughters were also sexually assaulted and abused at home and or while in foster care. Kim talked to me about the broken foster system and how these children are, quote unquote, treated for their trauma. It's a very broken system. You know, I know foster kids don't always tell the truth. I don't. I know there's things happens and they'll accuse foster parents of some unbelievable things, but we still need to listen to what they're saying. And I think these kids, some of them, like with Tila, she was so severely abused and traumatized and whipped and her back burned. Um, I mean, just burns and open wounds, broken femurs, um, sexually assaulted. And that was all at the hand of her mother and the mother's boyfriend. Well, when she gets into the foster care system, one of the, I think one of the big mistakes in foster care is rather than let these kids heal and get them the therapies and the counseling they need more consistently, and some foster parents who don't want to deal with the behaviors agree to just medicating them. So at one time, Tila was on 12 different drugs. So rather than giving her a chance to heal and get that out of her system, they medicate them so they don't have the behaviors, turn them into zombies, and they can't 
function like a normal, I mean, it's like giving them a painkiller and they wake up later. And she was just on that. We finally, it took us two years to get her off all the drugs that she was on. But I think foster children are probably over medicated instead of just dealing with the issues that they've been through and the trauma that they've been through, they medicate them. So you don't have to deal with it. She and her husband clearly have their work cut out for them. I asked what they have implemented in home to help with the behaviors due to the trauma and also how they are doing at this point in their life. Keila, we've dealt with the physical violence and anger. Most of them are in counseling every week. Keila is also in an anger management and on probation because we just, after two years of giving her chances to kind of cool this off, she still couldn't handle it, so... But the rest are all, they're all still in therapy. Emma is, was failing school. She's now a 4.0 student, taught herself guitar, playing piano. She's doing great. I mean, we still have her on guard because of things that she's pulled over the last couple of years. You know, her, the sexual assault with the foster homes has come out. Willie, are they both tried to, I mean, with all the improvements, we still randomly see crazy stuff go on, like trying to start fires in the neighborhood. Like I said, you can't begin to predict it because you don't, you haven't worn, been in their shoes. But it's still a great improvement. Willie, it's finally we were able to put him in a sport and let him play football this year. He's doing good. He, I mean, he makes A's and B's. Tila was failing out of eighth grade the first year we had her. She's making A's and B's. I homeschool all of them. That's right. On top of all she is already doing for these children, she also homeschools them. A saint. <laughs> I also want to say that during this interview, she was babysitting for a great niece. So you will hear some baby ramblings in the background at times and possibly a bark or two. Donovan's doing great. He still struggles with school because he just doesn't want to do it. So there's a lot of avoidance there. Um, It's hard to hold a two-way conversation with him. He does not communicate that way. He learns different. I think they almost think he's about Asperger's, but rather than diagnose him, we're just trying to work with him. But he does not carry a two-way conversation. He will, you can see his wheels are turning, but he's not talking unless it's something that totally interests him. Uh, Nevaeh is about as bashful as I've ever seen in my entire life. Some struggles with school, but with us being able to see it one-on-one and stay on top of it, she does pretty good. Um, Isaiah, as I said, we still have the problems with him urinating and stuffing things behind couches so you don't, you don't find it. He does not like the bathroom. You got to make sure he cleans himself because he'll go in there. He won't want to get in the shower. So I, we know there's some abuses around the shower. And even after we've had him, I think since 16 months, he's nine now, we're still seeing all of that. The trauma is still there. It does not go away. You have to deal with it. Love him through it. As always, I wondered about the openness of each of their adoptions. 
Because of the circumstances surrounding kids being placed in the foster system to begin with, often because of abuse and neglect, it's not uncommon for those adoptions to end up being closed. Uh, Emma and Willie do have an open adoption. Both their parents cleaned up and we're very open to open adoption there. They've been down here to visit them. They stayed in our home. Um, we've let them take them out for a few days to the beach by themselves. Very open there. Both parents are doing very, very well. I think the mom has probably taken it harder than any of them in the situation because now that she realizes she's got two little more little girls now and she's married and doing well, but she realizes what she's lost. And I think with the mother, it really hurts. It's an awkward feeling for her. I mean, they they call us both mom. They call us both, you know, Paul and their dad are both called dad. And we don't make them feel awkward about that or guilty about that. That is who they are. But the mom, I think she doesn't make as regular contact as the dad does because of, I think she realizes what she lost. So I think it's, it's a struggle there, but we keep it open. It's very open. Tila's adoption is closed due to the violence and physical nature. Mom has never changed. Um, mom denies it even ever happened. She's lost all of her children. Um, Nevaeh and Isaiah and Donovan, I tried to search for the mother there for a while to see if we could do an open adoption. Last thing I heard, she was still trying to commit suicide and there was still a lot of drugs involved. And so we had to close that. And they didn't, she didn't like Nevaeh because Nevaeh was conceived through rape at a party. Isaiah and Donovan have the same dad, so it would be hard for me to explain to Nevaeh how maybe mom would want to see the boys, but she wouldn't want to see her. So I had to keep that one closed. I would have to re-traumatize her. So in their situation and in Tila's, it's a close one. Kim has had a lot of support from family through her fostering and adopting. I mean, our family has a lot of adoption in it, but some, unfortunately, not so much trigger warning. This next part talks about racism briefly. Mom and dad were very supportive. I think most of our family has been supportive. As you notice, we got a lot of people in this family that that are adoptive. I can't say that about my oldest brother. He's very racist. And when my three younger kids first saw him, he wouldn't even look them in the eye, wouldn't respond to them at all. And when he saw a picture of Tila, he literally rolled his eyes. He's he does not like black people. You know, me and Art have lost contact because it's all about Art. So I love him. He's my brother, but we've had, he's almost like a stranger to me. So, because we weren't raised like that and I can't impact the kids that way. So, but I think most of the families, Chris's was always supportive. He even had the kids out there for a week, one summer. So family's not DNA. Well, I certainly couldn't agree more and thank goodness for that. <laughs> I asked her after all she's seen and been through in her experience, what advice she has for anyone else considering fostering. If they are not 100% committed to sticking it out and loving them through it, then I say stay out of it. Because I think they're going to be doing more damage if they, if they aren't committed. If you're not willing to treat them like your own, then just stay out of it. Don't do it. I, I don't even necessarily think respite. I, I'm glad they have it there in place for foster parents to utilize it. But it'd be nice if foster families would include these kids like their own. I, I don't think they should be allowed to buy them Christmas and birthdays. And then when they get ready to leave or be placed somewhere else, get to keep it all. 
is so not fair that these kids get to leave with nothing. Emma and Willie, after 11 different placements, they didn't get to keep anything they had. Tila came with nothing, and she'd been in foster care seven, eight years. What, what happened to all her stuff that she was gotten? You know, they keep it. It's just if, if the commitment's not there, stay out of it because you're just going to do more damage. Wow, I had no idea that this was even a thing. That breaks my heart for these kids, and I'm sure it makes it very hard for them to even be appreciative of gifts that they receive while they're in foster care. If they've been in long enough, knowing that there's a very good chance that they won't be able to take those items with them. It would be really hard to form any attachment to anything, let alone be happy about it. Kim also said that going into fostering is not all peaches and cream, and you should definitely not go into it to make money. That seems like a no-brainer to me, but folks do do this. Even though you get that subsidy check, you don't want them using it as income. I've seen that happen. They were wearing gold jewelry and everything, and these kids were wearing pants 10 times the size they were. So they use it as a paycheck. They don't invest in the kid. So don't get into it for an income, because if you're really being the parent that you should be, you're not making an income. (laughs) There is no income. That really needs to be invested in the kid. I would advise if parents are wanting to adopt one out of a sibling group, if it's at all possible, commit to the sibling group because they've already faced enough trauma. Don't separate them again. I know of a sibling group that I fostered for a while that's still up for adoption because they can't get anybody to take them all, take all four. Don't rule out children because of issues or disabilities. They can do wonderful. I mean, Emma's come a long ways, a long ways. And it's still not peaches and cream, but (laughs) I wouldn't change anything, so. (laughs) That's awesome. I know this isn't a completely feel-good story of adoption, but as we've heard now in all of these stories, Adoption is like a spectrum, and everyone is not going to have a great experience, especially those babies and children coming from the foster care system. They need people like Kim and her husband who will, as she said, love them through it. Kim and her husband are currently getting home study ready once again to hopefully do an international special needs adoption this time. I officially call for more of Kim in our world, (laughs) but seriously, Sending all my warm thoughts and positive vibes her way as she continues to do what her favorite Bible verse states in James 127, to look after the orphans in their distress. Very clear command to take care of the orphans. for listening and thank you Kim for sharing your story you can find me on Facebook at the Art of Adoption Podcast or you can email me anytime at artofadoptionpod at gmail.com the theme song Forever Home was written and produced by David Other find him on Facebook or at davidother.com artwork production and editing of this show is done by me Amber Way 
Tune in next time for another unique story and please subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a show. If you enjoy what you hear, tell your friends about it and please rate and review me on iTunes, hopefully with five stars.